This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was recorded in front of a live studio audience. Unfortunately, that studio was the Isle of Man TT press room, so apologies in advance for the audio quality from this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Go to renthal.com, check the Fit My Bike option to be able to see what parts are applicable for your bike. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie bringing you up to date from the Mizano round the world SBK. And Gordo, we're at a different superbike race this weekend. Yeah, we're uh, just about to watch the seniors go off at the Isle of Man. Um, I haven't been here since, I think, 1997. So it's a kind of weird experience for me because there's so many familiar things and so many new things. But yeah, the, the, the most surprising thing is the weather. We've had Mizano weather at the CT. It's quite astounding. Um, yeah, and it was a quick change to go from there to here. Thankfully, we haven't had Sunday at Mizano weather, Gordo, because the downpour after the race was something else. After the race, after the race. Most importantly, after the race. What did you make of Mizano anyway, Gordo? Overall, like this was a weekend where we were able to see Top Rack for the first time since he signed for BMW. We were able to see Ducati, as expected, come to the fore. Yeah, it was a it was a very interesting weekend. Um, the racing was, is, you know, obviously Batista just got it all nailed, but behind that it was it was all go. Um, it was a great weekend. They claimed a crowd of seventy thousand eight hundred something, um, which is over three days is possible. And certainly, you can always tell at Mizano when you look at the crowd that's the, where they sit. In the good weather, they'll sit on the hill and so on. There was quite a lot of people there. So that was very positive, considering it's Mugello this weekend. You know, there'll be a lot of people split between whether they, where they go. Um, and, yeah, the, the talk... I mean, you couldn't do two sentences without talking about Top Rack, which is understandable, considering that is absolutely bombshell news. And it's great. Um, it's really good that somebody's brave enough to mix it. Obviously, Gordy, you mentioned Mugello. Crowd doesn't look like it's going to be that busy there for the GP. We were very busy through the course of the weekend with the paddock. And like you said, the buzz around the paddock was all about Top Rack signing for BMW. It's obviously going to be a big money deal. There's no doubt about that. And Top Rack talks a lot about the challenge of going to BMW. Realised that there wasn't an opportunity to be in MotoGP next year with Yamaha. So had to go for something different, he said. But BMW is certainly something different. It's very different. Um, the thing about the BMW is that in theory, when you look at all the design parameters of the bike, there is no reason why that bike shouldn't be competitive every weekend. It's got a modern engine. It's got it's very traditional design, but the engine architecture inside and all the finger follower cams, all it's got all the things that you need to make the horsepower you have to have down the straights. Um, what it's it's always been is a little wild. So if they can find a way of taming that to some degree. That's fine. Corner entry, braking and corner entry has always been their weakness. All the riders say that that's the problem. That's top right's great strength. So if they can find the settings, make a couple of changes that allow him to capitalise on that, there's no reason why it can't be competitive. Because the Yamaha has an old bike, very good bike, old bike. Kawasaki's a very good bike, old bike. They're not going anywhere. The BMW has at least got potential to go. So as well as the money, as well as everything else, but you think about it if you're top rack. Staying at Yamaha, you know you can't beat Batista every weekend. Batista's staying next year. So at least one year in BMW, they'll know if it, the year after that the bike's going to be competitive. And he's still relatively young for a superbike rider. So there's no reason why top rack can't make a move to another manufacturer after two years or so at BMW. Yeah, a lot of noise here in the background. Court. We're in the media centre at the yeah. grandstand in the Isle of Man TT. Room. We're in the tea room at the media centre. Because there's nowhere we can be that isn't noisy. So we're now, if you hear people make cups of tea and coffee in the background, you'll know why. It's not just that we're thirsty for a cordial, but it's interesting that you mentioned there about the changes BMW would have to make to the bike, potentially for Top Rack. But 
Toprak, when you talk to the other BMW riders, Michael Vandermark's been very positive about the bike this year. Obviously, Scott Redding has been very clear about his thoughts yes. on the bike. Garrett Gerloff has a lot of positives to say about it. They, Gerloff and Vandermark, they talk an awful lot about the big strengths of the BMW. Toprak, he's going to have a decent package underneath him. Yeah, it's just settings. The, from what the outside can see, and us even, even there every weekend can see, is that there's obviously a disconnect in BMW between the various parts that make up the BMW. They've all got, they always have had different opinions. The biggest problem the BMW's had as a technical package is all the car development and the car electronics it's got. Are the, you know, all those background things are designed for cars which just have to make power. That's it. More or less, they can make it anywhere, and then the electronics can control it. With a 3D vehicle like a motorbike, you can't just transfer all that stuff. So if they can actually tone down the bike maybe enough and get it set to top rack's peculiar needs, if it has that in it, then there's absolutely no reason why it can't be competitive. Michael Vandermark is injuries of what's held him back from progress. And Garrett's jumped off a well-sorted Yamaha and had some reasonable results in the BMW. BMW is missing consistency and therefore that points to not having the right base set up yet. When they do that, then all the riders can be consistent and it's the same bike for four of them. So top right getting used to it, we'll have three other riders already, some of them already there, to give input to it. They, If all three of them say this is better, then it's all going to work in the right direction. For my opinion, there is limitless potential in that BMW because it's got a fast engine. Just when you look at it as well, Gordo, the next three rounds, the July rounds, Donington Park, Imola and Most, yeah. it's two tracks where we saw... BMW much more competitive last year, Donington and Most, Scott Redding on the podium. Yeah. So they'll certainly be thinking that now's the time for them to, to show a lot more potential, a lot more of what's warranted for getting a rider like Top Rack. Yeah, the guys who are going to be there, if, if they're all fit and ready to go, that BMW should be in better condition at that track than some other tracks. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still going to have to get the bike to work at the tracks. It can't work out if there's going to be anybody thinking about any kind of top three or um, even championship challenging thing next year, the year after. Just when you look at it as well, Gordo, for the second seat on the BMW, who do you think is going to get that seat? What do you think are the options for them? Obviously, you've got Vandermark and Reading, two riders that look like they're competing for that second berth. Um, it's very difficult. Um, I mean, Reading's obviously got more wins. When he was on Ducati, he got more wins. Michael, we know, can win. And he's just been incredibly unlucky with injury the last couple of years. Um, his BMW progress has been hindered by that. But in terms of positive, as you mentioned on earlier, positivity, everything else, then obviously you would choose Michael. If you're looking at maybe pure talent, if the bike gets sorted, then maybe Reading. But I don't think there's that much between Michael van der Mark and Reading in terms of pure ability and, and given the, the equal motorcycles. But Scott's not happy. He's just not happy. I mean, you can see it in him. So maybe he just wants to change because he realises he can't do anything in that bike. Maybe if he gets a shot on a Yamaha or a Kapsat or something else, then maybe he can continue. But Scott is also... He's got his cycle team now. He's got interests outside the paddock. He races as a kind of job. He said that to me multiple times. He does it because he wants to win. And if he feels he can't win, maybe Scott's going to pull one and just say, you know what, I'm going to go and do something else. For me, I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw Scott decide to go to Moto America. He's married to an American girl. He lives in California half the year. He could be able to put himself in there on the seat beside Cameron Bobier. It's a well-financed team. Maybe that's what BMW are looking at. Or you go back to Ducati and you go to 
war horse racing or whatever it would be over in America and you give yourself that chance because for Redding he's also talked a lot about he doesn't want to not be winning races when you're not on that Ducati it's very difficult to win races we saw what Scott could do with the best bike on the grid but now that he's not on the best bike of the grid it's tough to get yourself back up onto a bike of that level yeah exactly um, and as you say that's what I was alluding to um, whether he might do something a bit different um, because he's he's a unique person he's got he's just like top right but different Top Rack's a unique person in the paddock, so Scott Redding. So anything's possible with Scott. Um, and Motor American having be a great fit. He's so, uh, in a good way, he's so mouthy. He's a quote machine. He's, you know, when when he came from MotoGP, all the people I knew that had worked there with him and around him all said to me, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. Because I really didn't know the guy. And he has been. He's been a brilliant asset. He'll be an asset for Motor America or anywhere else he might go. It's that thing in superbike racing, Gordo, where you need to be a little bit quirky. And that's where next year's rider market's quite interesting because we saw Andrea Iannone on the grid on Sunday and he's talking an awful lot about wanting to get himself into Worlds. He's the ideal rider for some manufacturer to take a bit of a punt on talent out the ears and you're going to get him cheap. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of talk of that. He was there, he was obviously trying to get himself a ride. He'd be, it'd be another character. You know, motorbike racing can't ever have enough characters. There's a lot of people now who are becoming, they're going through a professional system and they end up being slightly vanilla. So the more mouthy characters, the more extreme characters people have, the better. That's what Superbike built his bones on all those years ago. The Fogarty's and the Edwards and all those guys, they had character. Um, so we need that as well as the top riders. Um, obviously, Anoni is a great talent, but he's had his problems. Um, will that be forgiven in Superbike? Yeah, if, if it can be made to work, because it just makes him more of a kind of bad boy. And that's fine. Um, I don't, again, I don't know the guy. I concentrated the last 10-15 years of my working career and completely in Superbike. So there's all these people come from OGP that I know a bit about, not a lot about. And I, you know, that's just the way it is. That's how I concentrate my business. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd like to see him just to see if all the rumours are true and see what he's like, you know, because that was what happened with Reading and he was like, wow, this guy's great. You know, can't tell enough of him. What about Gordo for, for that? One rider we saw come in was Danilo Petrucci. And finally, in Mizano, it seems to click into place a little bit for Petrucci. Yeah, he's still not quite got his bike, the geometry, the seating position, everything exactly the way he wants it. But they're making improvements. Um, he's getting his head around it. He's obviously a mega talent. I think everything he's done in on two wheels, he seems to have an ability on. Um, and that's a good bike. The, the, the Barney bike and Bassani's um, uh, Motocorsa bike are really very similar to the factory ones. The goal level one's a bit less, but he's got a good bike. But he's really big, and everything they've been doing since the days of Chaz and Reading has been to make it for the small riders, which you had in the factory, and the not too tall riders they had in the privateer teams. So the trouble is, he's now sitting, as he says, he's got his head down and his backside up, and he has they have made improvements, but he still wants to go more in that area if he can. Um, but yeah, he's definitely getting his head around it, um, and it's a good bike, and it has been a good team. Um, I think there's is a limit on Petrucci, yes, just because of the, the way the factory bike is and the way Batista is, but he should be finishing. With all the rep from MotoGP, he should be finishing top five every week. I don't see any reason why not. He should be getting the results that Bassani's getting. Bassani's a product of super sport, super stock, the inside our paddock, and look at what he's doing on what is the same base machine from Ducati. It's then up to team and the rider to get it sorted. And you would put Petrucci above Bassani. But at the moment, it's the opposite way around. Let's see if they can turn that over a second half of the year. Yeah, because that's, for me, one of the most interesting things this season has been 
the disappointment of Patricio really. I think a lot of people expected a lot more from him. I remember speaking to the Italian journalists at the, maybe it was the Phillip Island test, and they said, you know what, it's going to be tough for him. He's not going to win a race unless it's wet. And I kind of looked at it and thought, Ryder with his speed, his talent, the CV, he should get a chance with that bike. But as it's transpired through the first what five rounds of the season it's looked more and more like it's going to be a difficult year for him that's where Mizano was good but it was also interesting Gordo that it was mostly with that softer Q tyre <coughs> that we really saw Petrucci come into his own a little bit this weekend be interesting to see at the next round at Donington if he can build on what he saw this weekend but the good thing for him was the new swing arm and uh, some other parts for them seemed to help give him a little bit more confidence a little bit more balance on the bike Yes, he's um, he's definitely happier with it. The, um, he missed a test to go and do the GP, but they did another one. So he's yeah, he, he's getting there, and I, and I think it's just a case of time. The thing that people need to remember is behind Bautista, there are at least ten riders, if not fifteen, who are going to be able to beat each other on the weekend, depending on the weekend and the setup and everything else. Petrucci's just one of them. So, but with his Grand Prix experience and the training he gets as a Grand Prix rider and everything else. He was in Superbike, Superstop for a long time, but he's been it was in MotoGP for a lot of years. So he should be coming back as a much more polished, consistent package. So far, it's been okay, but it's not been great. And that's the experience of a lot of Grand Prix riders who aren't like nearly world champions or serial winners like Biagi. The alarm bells were ringing there, Gordo. Obviously, yeah. um, for for them, it's about what's what's going to happen with you. But um, when you look at the rest of the rider market, it was quite interesting to hear Alex Lowe's talk about the fact that he's not going to ride for free. He knows he's going to be up against riders that are going to come in for cheaper, and the dynamics within the paddock now are such that the wages are going down. It's a business decision for a lot of riders. If you're a factory team and you're not able to get the right rider, you're not able to to win races against Bautista and Ducati. Suddenly it can be where they do make that change and they look for a new rider and you're trying to build for two, three years down the line. Yeah, I think a lot of things are going to refresh. Top Rack's kicked off a, a great big uh, silly season before we even got to June. So, yes, there's an awful lot of um, discussion about who's going to go where. Alex is one of the seats under threat because it's a factory ride, as you say. You know, People are going to value that. He'll be paid. Whoever, whoever might come in there instead of him will be paid. He'll be paid. He'll just maybe be paid less. Um, there's an awful lot of people and not a lot of seats. Um, Alex might be a victim of that, but I mean, he should be able to walk into any other kind of secondary ride, if you want to call it that, in that paddock, no problem. It's just what he's going to earn as a living. Um, and everybody else, unfortunately, professional motorcycle sport is, is, is yeah, the, the money side of things is, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. As you say, budgets are being cut here and there. There is a world cost of living crisis going on, certainly in Europe anyway, which is the centre of racing. There's a hundred reasons why people might change riders, but the overriding one normally, as always, is cash, is money, is sponsors, is profit. It's, you know, a lot of riders bring money. They're, they're literally riding because a sponsor's paying their salary and they're riding for nothing. So they're being paid, but they're not getting any money. Um, that happens up to a surprisingly high level in Superbike and everywhere else, including MotoGP. I think that's one of the things that, for me, the... The whole Dami Aguilar has to replace Top Rack story isn't quite as clear cut as it should seem. Dami had another great weekend, by the way, and in, in Mizano rode really well. But whenever you're a rider like Dami, that even though Dami isn't directly bringing money to the table for GRT, we still see one of his personal sponsors on the side of the bike, IXS Leathers. So there's still money coming in as a result of Dami. If you move him to the factory team, 
you then need to fill a hole in the budget for your junior team. So will you actually make the move to push Domi from that team onto the factory bike? And it's things like that that are always quite interesting. We saw it with Locatelli because at one stage, Toprak's budget was taking up almost all of the wage structure that Yamaha had in yes. place. So it was going to be a case of, we're going to pay you, let's just put a figure out there, 100000 a year. You can have your sponsors and you can keep your money from them, but your wage is going to be quite low. I think that was one of the things that for... Locatelli, that was why he was talking to other manufacturers. He was looking to make a move to earn a little bit more. And this is one of the things that we don't really see behind behind the curtain when you're looking at home. Yeah, and the the big question of how you put on that Yamaha is that almost anybody, the trouble is none of them that are, they're talking about is guaranteed to be better than top rack. So you kind of got a free choice. Unless I want to splash some big cash to bring someone over from MotoGP or bring another rider from inside the paddock that they think they can turn into in a couple of years another at least somewhere in the orbit of the talent of top rank then fine you can choose who you want but right now we all know that Yamaha are not challenging for the world championship while Batista's going as soon as he goes or if anything silly happens everything's open again so as much as signing for next year you're building for the future so maybe the choice they'll make is to build for the future because they know like top rank you he's not going to win the world championship on the Yamaha Let's look at Jonathan Ray then, the other of the big three, because traditionally that's been the other rider that we've seen at the front of the field. Not so much the case this weekend, not so much the case this season. Ray's championship hopes they're gone now at this stage and have been for a few rounds, but now it's firmly cemented. Mizano really showed that, where he was given everything he had to fight for a top five finish. Yeah, um, they made changes in the winter, small changes to the bike, which as far as, as, look at the results, are worse. That is the, the, the only thing you can take from it. You can't butter it up and fancy it up. The, the the changes have made the bike more difficult to ride. They say that their performance is greater than last year, that they're happier with the bike compared to last year. There's a lot of comment like that, but the trouble is the results are worse. Do you think, Gordo, is that performance potential greater? And that's what they're saying. Maybe that's what they, they mean, is that they're still to find the, the breakthrough thing with the bike. But at the end of the day, they didn't make such a big change that there should be any kind of radical thing that they've just got to find a whole new base setting for. But what they have seemed to have done is make the bike more complicated to set up. They're, they're making decisions which are very unusual for them, would be they collect all the information and get it right for, for Saturday, Sunday races. That's what they were incredibly good at. And they needed to because their bike wasn't the most modern, it wasn't the fastest, it wasn't anything, but it was the best package for, right up for all those championships with Jonathan. And even the year after. Um, ultimately, something's gone wrong there, which is very unusual. So you've got to point it to be the technology. Because the team's not changed particularly at the very top. They have got two new engineers in, so you have to look at that from the electronic side. So you have to look at that as maybe a set on in period. So that's what they're talking about with the potential. Once those guys truly understand the bike a lot better, maybe they'll be able to move it on a bit. Um, but I just, that bike is not getting any younger. And the BMW's got a faster engine and the Ducati's got a better, faster engine and a better package. So they're up against it for those. Honda's got a faster engine than either of them as well. This is what I was going to say as well, Gordo. The Honda has a lot of potential. There's a lot of talk of a new homologation for next year as well. There's even talk of them trying to test out a few new parts in the summer break. We've obviously seen Taz McKenzie out in Japan as well to test the yeah. Suzuka bike. So they're putting resources into that. Yeah. It was interesting last year when they did the Suzuka eight hours, we then saw some new parts come into the World Superbike team as well. So maybe that's something that's going to happen down the line as well. But for Honda, they're another team that's got so much potential but the results aren't there. 
And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens for them going forward. We saw Lekawona got injured again at the weekend. We've seen Javi Vierge. We knew at Misano he was going to be strong. It's one of his better tracks. But he's actually given himself that chance to say, you know what, I'm doing a better job week in, week out than Iker. You've got to keep me. And Honda's got decisions to make as well. Yeah, they do. Um, their, their technical package, and we keep talking about the Honda's potential. This is, you know, we're well into that project now. They changed the whole rules of World Superbike last year to allow them to do something that they said we're going to fix the bike. Hasn't, as far as I can see, it's just not made the bike. It's just made the bike different. It's not made the bike in a vast improvement. Um, they've got all these concessions I've used. They, they can, to me, there's just something maybe not 100% right with that bike that doesn't matter what they do, they're just going to have to make a new one. Um, unfortunately, that's the way I feel. I hope not. But the basic problem there, as far as I can see, based on previous experiences, they built the perfect bike for Suzuka on Bridgestones. And when you put them on very soft, much more road-oriented tyres and Pirellis and World Superbike, much more ordinary tyres and, and everyday tyres, um, not super special racing designed around Suzuka, um, that, that those two bikes are two separate animals. You would want to build a different chassis for that, quite honestly. You would want to have a Suzuka chassis and a World Superbike chassis. And they've kind of done that a bit and it still hasn't worked. See, I think that's one of the things with this new homologation could be quite interesting. Maybe you've got the 2023 spec that'll be efficient for world endurance going forward with Bridgestone tyres and then the 2024 spec might be the one that actually makes a bit of a difference. But we've been waiting for the might-be moment for Honda for a long time. The big change last year was hacking the bike around to quite an extreme degree and softening the chassis in certain places, or at least having the ability to do that. That's what they were asking for. Um, and it didn't make any kind of instantaneous difference. And that's after, you know, Lacona and Bierke have got their head around this superbike thing fairly well now. They're still young and they're still new. But, you know, they're capable. When the bike's working well, they, they get the results. Um it's, it's just, to me, the whole thing's just a big question mark, which is a nightmare because the last thing you want to see is somebody at Honda decide, you know what, we're just going to stop this. I hope they don't. I, I don't think they will because that's what builds on heat with TT. A lot of that bike's done from World Superbike and then turned into BSB plus spec, is what I gather the Superbike is here, um, and every other racing championship in the world. So things are still more or less done via Superbike and to some extent World Endurance. Um, for development of the real bike on the track so you know I think Honda will keep the faith put a big effort into it but they do need to they need to find someone missing or they need to build a new bike that's it let's look at one of the other rumours we heard in the paddock Evo from Speedweek sharing it that uh, well, not Evo from Speedweek not even from Speedweek well I'll be honest I can't pronounce Evo's surname so uh, Schutzbach Schutzbach fair enough fair enough Evo from Speedweek um, we heard from Evo that Mark VDS were looking to yes. come across as well bringing a single Ducati entrant that would be an exciting addition for the paddock if it were to come about well single entrant Ducati seems most likely but I don't think it's the only one it's the one everybody's talking about but I don't know if that's nailed down however Ducati in the shape of uh, Gigi Delina did tell me that they can expand if they need to they can expand and provide more bikes the, the, the way the company's set up is they can gear up production or reduce production in terms of the bikes that they make outside what you change so many things in Ducati and that was one of them and now anybody can come and buy two really good Ducatis as long as they pay the, the money for the, new, the latest one um, buy a good engineer get you'll get help from Ducati as part of that package and you can go racing like the old days you used to be able to buy two 916 Ducatis 996 Ducatis get help from Ducati and you could win races um, and that's a deliberate policy so Mark VDS arriving 
with decent budget, we'd imagine, will be able to buy the best bikes that are there. Maybe not a factory team, but they've got the resources to have enough people and clever people on the team, and they could create a, a truly competitive team in no time flat. No reason why not. It's production racing. It's production derived racing. It's not MotoGP. You don't have to learn the secrets of the factory. You have to run the thing properly and consistently. Yeah, and that comes from the people around you. And that's obviously been the biggest issue Honda had over the last years. They brought in a lot of GP personnel that didn't fully understand what they could do with a superbike and it takes time to catch up to that. And Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. We now know the answer to all those experiments of getting rid of two experienced riders and bringing in two rookies. From day one, bringing in a, a, a disparate bunch of people from MotoGP who I'm sure were very, very good at their jobs there, but zero experience of superbike racing. We now can say categorically that's not the right thing to have done. Um, the, it, so those guys have learned a lot now, so maybe keeping all those guys is fine. But they, they, there is that was a Grand Prix team brought here. doesn't work. Having, work. having the experience of the superbike paddock makes the difference, Gordo, and it's the same for where everyone's able to read your stuff as well. So from the TT, where's everyone going to be able to get your, your news and your your features from this week? I'm not doing any new stuff at all. I've been brought here um, as a kind of guest of Moto, the oil company, um, and all they wanted me to do is, is, is write some stuff for my magazines. I'm not doing any stuff for them. They just said, come to the TT and write some stuff about the TT because obviously they're one of the big sponsors. So the hands, you know, cards on the table, that's why I'm here. I wouldn't be able to afford to come here on one as a freelancer. I wouldn't have the work. But I will be uh, publishing stuff in Australian Motorcycle News and Speed Week um, and possibly some other in my magazines, maybe Bike Spot News, maybe I haven't uh, spoken to everyone, but I'm doing basically a feature about the TT. That's what I'm here for. I'm, I'll be writing it after the end of the TT. That gurgling we heard in the background, Gordo, that what wasn't we, that wasn't our stomachs. That was just the, was the water fountain here. But... Um, have you found coming back to the island after so long? Like you mentioned, it was nineteen ninety seven the last time you came here, so over twenty five years ago. What's changed and what hasn't changed? Everything is polished. There's so many familiar things, similar things. the The atmosphere is slightly gentrified. Um, it's not. There's not quite as many people dragging around who've always been sleeping in a hedgerow for three nights um, with a black leather jacket dragging along behind them, uh, which is slightly sad because that's the way I used to be. But um, it's a lot more polished. There's a, the demographic seems very similar, but there are reasonable amount of young people. I interviewed uh, Paul Phillips yesterday, and he said that their demographic of people who come for the TT is actually younger than any other motorsport in the UK, and even in World Championship. Um, I would be surprised if that's true. But looking out the window into the paddock right now, yeah, there's a range of age, you know a range of ages. All the, but what's noticeable is all the people on bikes are like me. They're all oldies. They're all grey hairs. So, yeah, that's that's a slight change because there was a lot bigger spread of people who came here on motorcycles. I went downtown. We finally got down to the, the, the main promenade downtown. last night. Down the town. Uh, down to the town, the main town last night because we've been everywhere. Um, and there was, relatively speaking, no motorbikes on the seafront. So there's lots of things at play here, one of which is there's so few hotel rooms left and B&Bs and guest houses left in Douglas because they've all been snapped up by all the people that have come in for the jobs in finance. Obviously, the man's main thing is finance now. It's a, you know, a, a big uh, clearing house and investment place. So that's changed the demographic of the island. Therefore, it's not as much of a holiday resort as it was anymore. So the reason Douglas is quiet is not just because they're not putting events on. It's just there's not enough people in Douglas. People are camped 
all over the island. They're staying in people's houses that wouldn't normally run any kind of guest accommodation, but they're encouraged for the duration of the TT to open them houses to people. That's all changed. That had already started happening. But the last time I was here, I reckon, was 97. I can't believe it's that long, but it probably is. So there's been a lot of changes, but all the TT stuff, the riding stuff, the, the, the this little paddock here, it's just more polished. But it's not specific, you know, really different. There's more corporate, there's more branding. But from outside companies, that used to be the motorbike manufacturers themselves. Now it's external companies like Motel Monster. Um, you know, you see all the names all around. It's the same repeating the six or eight names. Um, so that's what's changed. It's gone a bit corporate, but not in the way that you imagine that. It's not negatively corporate, all of it. What about out on track? Where have you been able to watch from Gordo? Obviously, you've only been here a couple of days. Uh, we came on the rest day, so we couldn't see it on that day. Yesterday, we did. We got grandstand tickets and I sat there for a bit, but we did actually watch. The first action we saw was the bottom of Bray Hill, which, in a wonderful twist of fate, is the very first place I saw any TT action when I first came here in 1980-something on my uh, Yamaha RD125LC with L-plates. Came from Scotland to Haysham and then over with L-plates on my one two, restricted 125 um, a million years ago. And that's where we watched the first time. So it was just as mind-blowing as it was then. And they're going 15 mile an hour faster everywhere. So, you know, it's mad. You just can't get your head around it. Uh, then we went to... I watched a bit of the morning practice yesterday from the grandstand for the twins. And then we watched the super stop race from... I don't actually know the, the, the corners. I, I thought it was St. Ninians, but it's the crossroad. So you come up from Bray Hill, and before you get to the paddle, you hoop left to that crossroad with a gas yeah, station. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Right, so I've got... It's no, was it, it wasn't marked as that anywhere. I'm thinking, maybe that's not right. But, yeah, fast. Dear me. Wow. And the, th- and the funny thing is, the best thing, if you're a spectator, the best thing to do, which I forgot until I came here again, is watch the first 12 or 15. Because that's genuinely the really fast guys. Then you can go... No, no disrespect to the rest of them, because, you know, they'll get so much more talent, balls and everything else than I'm ever going to have. But you go and then, then you can go somewhere else and watch someone else. So you don't have to wait the 70, you know, till everybody goes through, then you've got 10 minutes. You watch the fastest guys and then go somewhere else and go somewhere else. You've been able to cheer on one of your editors as well this week. Yeah, I haven't even seen him yet. But Rennie's uh, out and about, Rennie's Facebook from uh, Cycle News, that's one of my clients. Um... And he's raced again, did his first experience last year. But because he changed teams, it's, it doesn't seem to have any fixed abode. So I've been trying to find him and can't find him. Um, and it's a big place. So I'm hopefully going to find him now before we have to scoot off to the next event they've got organised for us. Yeah, Gordon, we've got an hour and a half before the senior kicks off. So time to get yourself back out and get, get into the middle of it. So we'll obviously be chatting a little bit about the GT on the next podcast as well. So thanks for giving us the time to be able to get everyone up to speed on Mazano. Mate, pleasure. It's great to see you and great to be here. And as ever, check out patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast for all the latest news from the MotoGP world. David, Neil and Adam will be bringing Paddock Notes shows all the way through the next triple header of MotoGP races. So they're Mijello as we record this. And then we've got Saxon Ring and Aston coming up. So big thank you to everyone for supporting us on patreon.com. Big thank you to Renthal as ever for supporting the Paddock Pass podcast. Mm-hmm.